Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. We're talking about saints and heroes, and today we have a heroic figure of actually modern time. With me today, Kimberly Majeski. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I know you are because our subject today is one that you have a deep, deep reservoir of knowledge and respect for. And we're in a world that needs some saints and heroes. Before I go any farther, though, when I say the word saints, what do you think about, Kimberly? I think about, uh, honestly, the Catholic Church. I think about prayers. I think about medals. I think about um, the stories of people who've gone before. And those are all popular definitions of the word saint, and they're all valid at a level. But in our culture, as you said, many people immediately gravitate towards uh, a Catholic theology, for instance, because saints play a very big part of Catholic experience. But when you read the New Testament, you'll see the word saints used in a much more generic way to describe all those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Every Christian is by a New Testament lens a saint. Uh, there are different disciplines of the Christian family that have elevated certain persons in history to a different plane. Uh, we're not here to talk about that so much, but just to acknowledge that there are some stories, heroic stories of great men and women of faith that we could call saints with a capital S that are worth remembering and worth celebrating. We're not here to venerate them. We're not here even to imagine them to be our advocates in heaven above. We're here simply to say there are some heroic testimonies that should challenge us and dare us to walk with Jesus today as great men and women have walked with him before us. And we're here today to talk about a man who calls us out right now in the real world in which we live. Stay with us. Saint days in the liturgical calendars of many Christian communions. The Roman Catholics have a calendar of saints. The Orthodox churches have a calendar of saints. The Lutherans have a calendar of mm -hmm. saints. And the Anglicans, that's the Church of England and all of its descendant families around the world, it has a calendar of saints. The Lutherans and Anglicans, of course, are Protestants in this series called Saints and Heroes on Viewpoint. We've been looking at the Anglican or the Church of England calendar of saints. And on the 9th of April, they have a day set aside to remember the most remarkable story of a man from the 20th century. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German. He was born to a very distinguished family. And the reason that April 9th is his day of remembrance is because that's the day upon which he was murdered. He was hung by the Nazis. And the whole story of his life from birth till then is the stuff of, well, amazing courage and daring. You know anything about his family, Kimberly? The Bonhoeffers. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is from a very prominent family, as you said. He is the grandson of a famous German theologian. He has um, siblings who are all established and incredible professionals in the German world. And he himself is a student of theology and really situated in this elevated place in German society and uh, could have done very well for himself. <laughs> if he'd just play along. In the ranks, yeah. That's right. His dad was a psychiatrist and a neurosurgeon. His mom was a teacher. And this emphasis on knowledge and education is something he grew up with, and he became very well educated. He was educated in the liberal arts, in theology, in universities in Germany, and also in the United States. And uh, he was born in 1906. So as he's a young man, he's uh, just in the 
the period between the world wars, that's when he comes of age, he discovers in the United States the African-American church. This is really striking to me. He goes I to New know. York City. In Harlem. And he goes to Harlem and he gets <laughs> a, a, a gig teaching Sunday school in an Abyssinian Baptist yes. church. But he reflects later that this was a huge threshold in his understanding because he found in the narrative, in the testimonies of people in this African-American church, a dimension of Jesus and his faith that he did not know in the privileged class in which he'd been raised in Germany and Europe. No, and, it, and it made him expand. And he talked about how he saw the other side or the underside or the world below and yes. how Jesus was not just about this kind of esoteric liturgy, but, but was like the advocate and the helper of the oppressed. And yeah. it informed his Christian journey he grew deeper and deeper in his faith. It it does. And I again, like I don't want people to tune out because I'm talking about the history of theology, but you just cannot overstate the importance of his life and his contributions. He's of course influenced by von Harnack and and Karl Barth, but the the thing about Bonhoeffer is He's this German theologian who who begins to see the way that that you study the scriptures, that you understand Jesus by reading it from the bottom up, right? From, by asking, how does this apply to uh, those who are the least of these, who are the oppressed, who are on the bottom of society? For someone from his vantage point from his place of affluence and uh, position yes to to say no that i care about this and i'm going to go find out about this i'm going to place myself inside a black church in harlem to understand this and that new vistas of understanding Christ open up for him in that, and then for him to teach out of that. This really is going to be what drives the idea of moral theology and our responses to what we believe about God on the other side of the Holocaust. Because after the Holocaust, we have to have an answer for why bad things happen to good people, right? And Bonhoeffer's journey doesn't just stop in New York. He goes back to Germany. Yes. has some time in the UK, but as we unpack his story, it's just critical to understand. He comes back to Germany, and just as he is ascending into himself as a professional, he he has opportunities to pastor in, in prominent churches and so on, just in this period of his life, Hitler becomes the chancellor of Germany, and the Nazis take over the control of the government, and he's put in the terrible crucible of trying to decide, what do I do? Should I be quiet? But he's outraged in his heart. He feels like there's moral depravity in the government, and he doesn't know what to do, but he decides he's going to do something. And he begins to speak out famously in 1933. Hitler becomes the chancellor of Germany in January of that year. Within a few weeks, Bonhoeffer, already prominent, is on the radio, Mm -hmm. and he's calling out the moral depravity of the Nazi regime. While he's speaking on the radio and calling Germany to its better self, he's cut off. The (laughs) broadcast ends midway through. He's marked from the beginning by the Nazis as someone of suspicion. 
He still goes on. He works in churches. He has underground seminaries. He helps establish what's called the Confessing Church, which is a group of believers in Germany. He's a Lutheran, but he's calling together believers in Germany to say, no, Jesus is the Lord of the church, not the Fuhrer, because Hitler was taking it over. I know. And Hitler is at the same time co-opting, quote, the Christian message, right? He's arguing this is the way to live as righteous people. And Bonhoeffer saying, no, he's he's challenging it. He's leading this resistance. He's leading a movement of confessing against this. And he's doing it in this, I mean, middle of this reign of terror. You know, um, I mean, people being drug out of their homes and shipped away and never heard from again, killed, murdered in the street, children fleeing. And, I, you know, Again, the horror of those days, we, we can hardly even imagine. And he refused to be quiet. And in the end, he becomes a part of a movement to overthrow Hitler. It's an underground movement. It has to be very hushed and quiet, but he still preaches. And he preaches that Jesus is the Lord of the church. And ultimately, in 1943, he's arrested in his home. He's carried off to the camp. And there he'll be imprisoned for the rest of his life. He has a fiance, and she comes to greet him in the prison. She is able to get him letters inside and outside the prison. Some of the guards recognize the beauty and the power of his Christ-like spirit and begin to help him, even in a Nazi camp. They cannot resist his witness. He begins to minister to other prisoners who begin also to move into a kind of confessing church within the barbed wire. But in one of the great tragedies of history, it seems, Hitler, early in April of 1945, runs across a diary of another German officer that names Bonhoeffer. And in a rage, he orders that Bonhoeffer and the guy who wrote the diary and all those that were in their circle of friends, all of them be murdered. And a few days later, on April 9th, 1945, Bonhoeffer is yanked out of a cell and hanged. And it's just days after that that the Russians find Hitler's body. Uh, They don't find his body, but I mean, he commits suicide in his bunker and his body is burned and and the Russians conquer Berlin just days after Hitler in his mad rage orders Bonhoeffer's own hanging. It's outrageous, uh, the darkness. The darkness. And it tells you just even with, with the Russian troops coming in, the end is very near. Hitler finds this material and he's he said, this guy's got to go. He's gone. He, he's, he's tried to take me out. I'm going to take him out. Yeah. Well, when we come back, how do we even put a frame of reference on a dramatic narrative like this? The stuff of film, but no, this is the stuff of real life. The Bible in both the Old and New Testaments is a story of saints and heroes. But as I think about Bonhoeffer's story, I could not help but run back into my Bible story book, Real Time, Real History, the book of Daniel, which tells the story of some young Hebrew men who were caught up in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian potentate who was himself a Hitler-like figure who demanded absolute obedience, who had some insecurities that required people to just get in line, or he would threaten them with their lives. It's the famous story of what we sometimes say, the three Hebrew children, they're actually Hebrew young men who are going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Their story is told in the third chapter of Daniel. You have it right before you there. Kimberly, what does it say? I do, beginning in verse 13. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace, and then what god will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. It's such a powerful story. And Bonhoeffer actually warned the Germans that Hitler was setting himself up to be a false god and that the Fuhrer was actually an idol and that they must not bow before him. Mm -hmm. And he lived up to his own teaching and with that was thrown into the furnace. He was hanged instead. But you can just imagine the scene in Bonhoeffer's own life. I know God can deliver me from this, but even if he does not, I will not not bend my knee to you who represent so much depravity and wickedness Mm -hmm. and evil. I won't do it. And the consequence of Bonhoeffer's courage has been a lightning rod of inspiration and challenge and reformation of people's thinking Mm -hmm. about how to stand up in the face of such wickedness and how we as followers of Jesus have responsibility to speak. Look at some of these quotes of Bonhoeffer. I've got some, and I, I know that you have some that you love too, but hear this. Bonhoeffer said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Here's a man who would not simply sit back in the pew. He had to be on the front line. Give me another one. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. A prophetic word. Uh, Yeah, like following Jesus. uh, Look where he ended up. (laughs) You you follow him, and that's where you're headed. And he just told the truth about that, and I I find that so inspiring. And then he experienced it himself. Mm -hmm. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Ouch. Powerful. Jesus calls men not to a new religion, but to life. This idea that it encompasses your whole life, and it means you make choices and you do things differently because you live to follow Jesus. Bonhoeffer and the three guys in Daniel chapter 3 had a lot in common. Unholy despots demanded allegiance at the price of their own conscience, and they would not obey. They would not bend, and God has honored their testimony over time. Righteous principle overcomes wickedness. And even though we may feel like we are weak and vulnerable, when you have in the deep reach of your heart a conviction planted by God, when you are serving Jesus and you're a voice for the truth of his lordship and his grace, his high moral order, when you have that deep inside, no matter how great the material world's forces may be, you will be the overcomer. Mm-hmm. Deep faith is more than a match for the threat of corrupt rulers. Never forget that. We live in a world sometimes where people are very corrupt, but deep faith and 
allegiance to the principles of Jesus will always be a match, always more than enough to stare down this world. There's another verse that I just have to believe that Bonhoeffer had in mind as he was marched out of his cell that day. It comes from Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and Jesus himself is speaking. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's a sobering warning and also a sobering word of comfort that we need to be focused on God and pleasing him for he is ultimately the judge and the master, the authority of the universe. Well, Bonhoeffer is a story that you should read. He wrote some books and much has been written about him, but a very, very inspiring tale. He died just at the age of 39, but in his short life was a huge influence for the good and ultimately prevailed. How about you? How about your life? The world is marching by. Will we be a people who sit quietly? To not speak is to speak. To not act is to act. Will we be the people of Jesus and how to know when to speak and when to listen? All of these are complicated questions, but Jesus is alive and he is calling us to be his followers and he's calling us to bring the kingdom to life here and now. How do you get started? Is it possible that we could be heroes? Absolutely. Take a deep breath and pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you know each of us by name and that none of us is in this world right now by chance. You understood the environment of our world. You understood how history would unfold during our lifetimes, and you have created us for the here and now. We're thankful for Jesus who brought his kingdom, his truth, and his life into this world when he came 20 centuries ago, and how that kingdom continues to grow and expand. May it grow in our hearts, and may we be the voice and the hands and the feet of that kingdom here and now. We pray, Lord, that we'll have courage like Bonhoeffer, that we'll have love and compassion like Bonhoeffer. No, that we'll have courage like Jesus, and that we'll have love and compassion like Jesus. Thank you for the great stories of saints and heroes of old, and may we ourselves be called to be a hero and a saint in the world today. We surrender our lives into your hands, admitting that we by ourselves are not adequate. Make us, Lord, recreate us, Make us born again, for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you'd like to know more about how you can follow Jesus, if you'd like to know more about how you might even reach to become a saint and a hero, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're always glad to hear from you. Kimberly, if someone wanted to check us out online first... What's our web address? You can find us online at cbhviewpoint.org. And if you send us a message there, we'll respond. I promise we will. That's CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Kimberly, we're in Lent. It's a time of reflection and preparation before we celebrate the resurrection and the Passion Week of Jesus. Lots to think about. Bonhoeffer's a great study in these days. It is. Thanks for being alongside. So glad to be here. 
And we're so glad you joined us too. We hope you'll be with us next week as we unpack a new series for the Holy Week, for the Passion and the Resurrection, for the Easter celebration. It all begins next week right here at Viewpoint. Join us. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned. Thank you.